Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight Talk from Israel. Shalom, shalom, shalom to everybody who is listening in from all over the world. You are listening to the Tamar Yona Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And uh, today we're going to be talking about different topics, one of them, 2084. Hmm, the year 2084. Global Sad Energy and Alternatives, author of 2084, and Purim. It is the Purim holiday this week here in Israel, and we'll be talking about that as well. I want to say hi to everybody who's listening and from all over the world, from all over the United States, Israel, the United Kingdom, Canada, the Islamic Republic of Iran. Shalom to you. The Netherlands, Brazil, Japan, and where else? Wow, Colombia. It's Spain. More and more. It's just great to see you all listening in. We are live, if you are listening, between 4 to 5 p.m. holy time right here in the land of Israel. Or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern time on Sunday. And the show is live if you're listening during that time. And you can even call in And be on the show with us. Join us on the air with a comment or a question on whatever we are talking about. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And you can call in from the U.S., Canada, etc. All right. So our guest, as is always each week, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He is a researcher, former lecturer at Ben-Gurion University. He has authored over 90 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on Mideast and world issues. I want to welcome to the show Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you. Very, very good to have you on. Okay, so global sad. What does that mean? Well, let's start with just thinking about um, the issue of global military expenditures. Remember, when, you, when, when a country buys military equipment, the purpose of that equipment is for its destruction. This is not something that is productive. It's not something that has a, a, a social benefit other than the immediate benefit of having manufactured it. Which, of course, if it's not manufactured in, that, in the country that purchases it, it has no benefits to that country. It's just an expenditure. So global military expenditures in 2022 were $2.1 trillion. And it's still growing. That's one year. $2.1 trillion of basically waste. Buying waste. The rise in U.S. external military sales was 49%. In other words... The United States sold $205.6 billion worth of arms outside of the United States. That's not count, That's not including, of course, what was sold inside the United States, uh, whether it's to private citizens, to police, or whatever. Um, and as the Russian erasure of Ukraine becomes obvious, and I believe that the, this war will, will, will uh, probably uh, uh, be summing up by May-June, the, uh, the the DC denizens have a very very uh, 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 serious problem, and and that is how do they continue spending money, vast sums of money on on so called defense. So you're predicting that the war between Russia and the Ukraine is going to end within the next eight weeks or so. Well, I didn't say weeks, but I said by the end Couple of, of months. May, end of May, beginning of June, which I think would be. Closer to 14 weeks. If and, and why? What do you base that on? Again? Well, they're running out of Ukrainians. They're Russians running out of Ukrainians. Not, not, not uh, weaponry, but Ukrainians. Well, they're, they're, look, when you, when you run out of ammunition in a war, you die. There's no middle ground there. If you run out of ammunition, you die. 
Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. They will run out of artillery ammunition, which is the, the, important, the most important ammunition in, in, in this particular war, um, probably by the end of June. I'm sorry, by the end of April. So um, uh, they, they, they shoot off somewhere between six and 7,000 rounds uh, per day. That's compared to the Russians who showed off close to, close to uh, um, uh, f four or five times that amount. Um, and they're just running out. I mean, there, there's no more ammunition. The United States can bluster all at once. It doesn't have ammunition to supply it anymore. It's even taken ammunition from us to supply Ukraine. Well, you know, there's been um, rumblings before, not strong, but people who were wondering whether Biden would send U.S. troops over there to fight. Troops don't matter anymore. If you run out of ammunition, you run out of ammunition. The, the, the Americans do not have more ammunition to send. So you're and saying so that the American troops, they're going, they're going to die as well. Th then you're saying that the U.S. military has no more weapons either? I didn't say weapons, I said ammunition. Or ammunition. You're saying that the U.S. The U.S. military has already notified the White House publicly that if, God forbid, a war was to break out, they have ammunition for one week. Where I did not see that. Where is that? Um, that's been more than one place. I mean, that's, that's easy to find. That's that's not that's not that, that's not surprising. That is, it's surprising to me. I did not well, hear why that. Why do you think America came here and took three hundred thousand rounds for us? Because I think that maybe they wanted to save for themselves, and they're saying someone else, one of our other ally, allies, should pick up some of the weight that they've gotten yeah, well, into. Um, anyway. So the, the, Russian, the Russians did a classic chess move in the, in the city of Bakhmut. They basically surrounded it on three sides, allowed one side, one side to allow the Ukrainians to continue to send in more ammunition and more troops. And it's just been a bloodbath. They've just, it's, a, it's a meat grinder. They're just grinding them down. Ukrainians are dying there at a, at a rate that is just phenomenal. Horrible, but phenomenal. Sounds horrible. And that's what Russia is doing. They're just they're just killing off the Ukrainians. There are no there are there are very few Ukrainians left. The total population of Ukraine now is probably about twenty million people. War began there were thirty seven and a half million. Okay, but that's because but those you're, you're counting women and children also, and they and a lot of them have escaped. They've left. Exactly, exactly. Ten million of them have 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 have. have uh, have migrated to, to the West. Okay, but 20 some million people are no available to Ukraine. But Ukraine 20 is running out of Ukrainians. Well, I don't know. 20 some million sounds like a lot of Ukrainians. No, it does not. It sounds it sounds like a very few Ukrainians. <laughs> okay. They are already recruiting recruiting 15-year-olds to put on the front lines. I remember that Iran and Iraq were doing that during the, during their war, they were taking kids to fight. Uh, Iran was, Iraq wasn't. Okay. Um, but that was different. The, the Iranians, what they did was they didn't recruit them as soldiers; they recruit, recruited them as 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 um, uh, um, uh, uh, to clear minefields with their bodies. Hmm. They were given plastic keys to heaven. And order to march forward into the minefield, and they blew up, blew up, blowing up the mines, and of course blowing themselves up as well, and that way the uh, Iranian troops could advance. Okay, all right. Okay, so we have two more. We have about two and a half more minutes left. So you're okay, saying, so in, I, just, just to sum up, the the um uh, um uh, um the, the the Ukrainians are running out. Ukraine is running out of Ukrainians. So the war will end, my, in my expectation, or will begin to roll up by the um, uh, sometime during the, during the month of June, in my opinion. Um, and then the people in Washington have a major problem. They're, you know, they they like spending this money. It, you know, a lot of it stays in their pockets. So, you know, what do they do next? And that's the big question for the Biden administration right now. They, well, they blew it completely in terms of Europe. What do they do now? The, 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 the Germans are furious with them, the German people. 
Um, the French are furious with them, with the Americans. The Scandinavians are furious with them. Because? Because they, they were stabbed in the back by the Bidens. It's not just uh, Nord Stream, but, the, but that's certainly part of it. Um, they, they were stabbed in the back, and they, 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 they've paid now for, instead of getting Russian gas, which was extraordinarily cheap, now they're buying liquefied natural gas from the United States at four or five times the price of what they were paying before. Hmm. Their industry is collapsing. Uh, uh, and then Biden passed this law that he called the, 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 with the ridiculous name of a, um, uh, 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 what do you call it, Inflation Reduction Act or something like that, which basically provides uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, transplanting funding for European industry to leave Europe and go to the United States. So when people in the economy, economists in the United States say, well, the Employment numbers are very positive. Yes, they're positive because companies are moving from Europe to the United States. Europeans aren't particularly happy about that. They're not in the business of exporting their jobs. You know, there was interesting. I, I, I'm in a WhatsApp group. That there are people from all over the world in there. And one of them was saying how, how much they hated America. And a lot of the Americans were shocked and say, why are you so hostile? Because like America is a great country. And they said, everybody hates America. You guys just don't know it. You're just so self-centered. And anyway. That's that, that's life. I mean, in terms of facts on the ground, these people were right. People, I don't, I don't hate America, but... Most of the people in the world today. I don't hate America. America. Either. Okay, we're going to go to a break. We're going we're gonna to be right back, everybody. Shalom, this is Nadia Matar from the Sovereignty Movement. At a time when there is so much disinformation, you have to know who to listen to to know what really is going on in Israel. Israel News Talk Radio is a radio where you can know that what you hear is the truth. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Warning, take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. We are back here at the Tamar Yonah Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and we're speaking with Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. And the topic right now we're speaking about is global sad. We covered in the last section that uh, there's a a thought that it's possible that the war between Russia and Ukraine will end in the next couple of months or so because they're running out of people. They're running out of uh, Ukrainians, I should say. They're running out of weaponry and ammunition and uh we're going to see what's happening there europe is unhappy with the united states so are a lot of other people uh where do you want to go in this segment well let's jump to the united states for a moment um uh, uh murders in chicago um over the last two uh, the last two years uh, 21 and 22 or 1500 murders in the city of two million people that's a unbelievable statistic i mean it's a war zone that's 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 worse than afghanistan that's worse than Afghanistan at its worst. Wow. Uh, Chicago Sun-Times, I'm quoting from November 2022. Last year, 1,428 people died of opioid-related overdoses in Chicago, the most ever recorded in the city, and a 10% increase from 2020, which saw 1,302 opioid-related deaths. So that's addition to the murders. So if we add those up, 
um, uh, uh, we're talking here about um, uh, uh, nearly 5,000 dead people, dead Chicago citizens in two-year period. As I said, that's a war zone. Hmm. That's not that's not civilization. Now, Chicago, of course, is only one is only one city in the United, in the United States. It's a sort of a middle-sized city, two million people, not uh, sensationally large, not particularly small, middle-sized city. So, in theory, the United States military, it, assuming that it functioned at all, could pour troops into cities to restore some sort of level of public safety, public security. But they won't do that because that's not costly. It's not. It's inexpensive to do that. So you know that's the you know the people in Washington can't make any money out of that. Have you remember a principle: healthy children physically, mentally, spiritually need to be worked out consciously and strategically. No less than the business of not having children. By the way, the business of not having children may now be the second largest business in the United States after drugs. Explain. Well, if you look at what, what hospitals are actually taking in, for instance, for all of these um, so-called sex-related, uh, I don't even know what to call them, and not just transgender, but well beyond that, uh, puberty blockers, uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, operations, um, uh, all the different various forms, et cetera, et cetera. This has become a multi-billion dollar industry across the United States. Destroying sexuality or destroying the ability of people to have children. Of course, everything dealing with the so-called, whatever you want to call them, homosexuality communities, gay communities, whatever name you want to use. I, I get confused. The names seem to change every couple of weeks. And I, I, I don't remember remember what the current title is. LGBTQT, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what. This is big business. This is very, very big business. So... Preventing people from having children is a very large business in the United States. Preventing in terms of, uh, uh, and don't forget things like uh, the, 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 the massive abortion uh, clinics, and etc. So, um, uh, um, infanticide across the United States, it's a big business. The only business that's clearly larger than that is the business of illicit drugs. Not pharmaceuticals, illicit drugs. Which is today the largest business across the United States. But it's not just the United States we're talking about. In uh, 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 in Never Great Britain, for instance, um, they're now experiencing food shortages there. In the United Kingdom, there are shortages of food. People actually can't go into a supermarket and buy food. Major soft, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, supermarket chains across the UK are limiting to pe- limiting what people can buy. For, you can purchase one cucumber or one tomato. No more, because they're, rationing. They're, 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 they've run out of produce. So you're saying that they're rationing? The supermarket chains are rationing, and, yes. And why are they rationing? Well, because there's been bad weather in Spain and, 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 uh, and, and Morocco, which is where they, the, the Brits normally buy their, their fruits and vegetables from. And, of course, heaven forbid, they, they certainly won't buy them from Israel. They, don't, they just don't do that. Brits don't want it if it comes from Israel. So they're, they're going without. Now, I understand that, uh, that Europe is looking at another year of drought and that they're worried about the nuclear reactors that have to be kept cool by the waters that they've been cooling it with, which they don't have a lot of anymore now because there's little snow in the mountains. Uh, yeah, that, this is this is our this is our next next segment of, ah, the okay. of energy and alternatives. So you okay you, you, you you've guessed very well. <laughs> so then, are you, do you want to segue into that now, or are you are you finished with this topic of global sad, or do you want to? Was there something no, we can, we, that can, we, we, we can segue into the other thing. That's okay. 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 Uh, the world has has invested or spent whatever you want to term you want to use 4.6 trillion dollars in alternative energy in the past 40 years. That has reduced the share of fossil fuels from 82 percent to 81 percent. Now, if that 
isn't I, I don't know. I, I find that almost humorous, but okay. Germany phased out nuclear for solar, and Germany has no solar. I mean, they have solar panels. They don't have solar. They don't have sun. Anybody who's ever been to Germany, you just don't see sun in Germany. Um, the idea that alternatives will replace oil and gas is simply absurd ignorance of facts. Anyone who says that either is evil or has no facts. Just doesn't understand what they're talking about. The future is more, much more energy, and all forms will be necessary, including the so-called alternatives. I'm not saying that solar is bad. It is not. Well, unless you care about pollution, solar is highly polluting, but that's besides the point. Um, one billion people today across the planet have no access to electricity. Another two billion have access, but they can't afford it. All energy futures are resource intensive. And humanity has been under investing now for almost 60 years. I just read recently, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they said that in Israel, the electricity was going to go down 2%. Did you see that? Price for electricity? Yes. Which was surprising. I have not seen that. Okay. All right. Uh, um, uh, it makes sense if um, uh, uh, if they have completed the conversion of some of uh, there were some there were still some coal fired electricity plants in Israel and the coal of course is imported so if they've converted that to gas gas is much less expensive as well as much cleaner um, so I, technically I can see that that is possible I have not heard that so I don't I just don't know. Okay, so we'll wait. The push for alternatives has, generally speaking, it has harmed humanity phenomenally. People are not aware of the 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 amount of harm that has that has come to humanity from alternative energy sources, because manufacturing solar panels is phenomenally polluting, and they're all manufactured. All of the ones that are manufactured in China, which is well over eighty percent of the world market are manufactured using coal energy and coal-fired plants in China are extraordinarily filthy. Some of the worst in the world. So while I am all in favor of solar panels in terms of uh, 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 their use, um, presently, the way that they are manufactured and, 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 and etc. and deployed is very, very bad for the planet if you actually care about the planet um, uh, and the people on it. Hmm. Now, getting to what you were just talking about, uh, Europe this past year suffered the worst drought in 500 years. That is since this past summer. Indications so far point towards the same scenario, if not worse, happening once again in 2023. If that does occur, France, who gets who gets more than 70% of their energy from nuclear, will not have enough water to cool their nuclear reactors. And so that will mean that That will mean that an alternative system will need to be found. Maybe they'll maybe they'll uh, pipe in water from the sea to cool or something. I don't know what, but that means that they have a, a serious problem that needs to be solved. Or they're going to have to cut... Uh... Europe is dropping precipitously. For instance, uh, Switzerland gets a, 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 a very large portion of its electricity from hydropower, and the snow just isn't there, as you said. Okay, so I, I'm just trying to wonder if they're going to do something like they, they're doing currently in South Africa, where they have load shedding... And people's electricity just goes off for so hours rolling, at a time. Rolling blackouts has yeah. been going on in, in, in Germany now for the past for the past year and a half. In Germany, yes. And uh, in France, it has not happened because they they rely basically on nuclear. And France has been exporting nuclear power. But again, if the water levels do drop, as appears to be the case, they will probably not be able to export as much electricity as they are exporting today to the rest of Europe and that means that 
the situation in Germany and other places, uh, Benelux, etc., will become much worse than this today. Okay, hang on. We're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. One minute of Torah. Why can't God just make things easier for us sometimes? Our Torah portion this week, Kitisa, provides an answer. When Moses descended from Mount Sinai and saw his nation worshiping the golden calf, he broke the tablets that God himself had chiseled and given to him. He pleaded with God to forgive the Jewish people, and ultimately, God agreed, instructing Moses to carve out a second set of tablets. He does so, and a fascinating thing occurs. Moses' face radiates with a light so brilliant that he needs a mask to shield the people from its strength. The effort that Moses invested in these tablets caused their holiness to penetrate his very body in a way that the first tablets, created entirely by God, didn't. A free gift from God may seem splendid and something to yearn for, but in actuality, unearned gifts stay somewhat above us, not really affecting us in the way that our hard work can. When we're struggling through something in life, it's because God wants the goodness we achieve to truly be a permanent part of us. In addition, whatever aids us in our journey gets affected in this way as well, thus elevating the very fabric of our world for eternity. With your eye chairman of Torah, this is Chava Zikavich. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. Shalom, I'm Leah Aharoni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah, every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. We are back here at the Tamar Yonah Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We are talking to Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. We are covering topics around the world. And right now we're on energy and alternatives, and that is directly going to affect people in the West, at least in Europe. And let's continue on that topic. Okay, Rhine water levels. The Rhine is the main German waterway, and it's the main... Um, uh, uh, um, um, method of distribution of diesel power, of diesel fuel. So if Rhine water levels are set to fall below the one meter mark in the first days of March. That's very close to now. First days of March, we're, we're there. So if they, do, if they do indeed drop below the one meter mark, that already means that a quarter of its usual levels and snow coverage remains low uh, in the Alps, pardon me, and remains low. Um, if that happens, we expect the price of diesel throughout Europe to skyrocket because it'll, diesel will be in very short supply. Now, diesel runs all other forms of transportation. All trucking, for instance, is, is done with diesel. Throughout, throughout the world, not just in Europe, of course, everywhere. So this is kind of the things that we're, one of the things that we're expecting. If I can jump to a related pro- subject now, so we can see where this, where what what the ramifications of of all of these things concerning the end, the energy infrastructure really mean. Central banks in 2022 purchased more gold than has ever been purchased. Previously in the hist- in history, they added one thousand one hundred thirty six tons of gold to their stockpiles in twenty twenty two. What does this actually mean? It means that the central banks of the world, 
and this means banks from um, Turkey to Switzerland, not geographically in terms of sophistication, believe that the world economy is going down sharply. And part of that clearly is the issue of, for instance, issues like the lack of snow in the Alps, the drought, and etc. and some of the other things that we've been talking about. The energy infrastructure, energy infrastructure across Europe and across the United States are decrepit. Um, Trump issued an executive order when he was president to do something about the, the, the electricity infrastructure across the United States. Biden blocked it. So nothing has been done to uh, upgrade the American uh, uh, electrical grid since prob at least the time of Clinton, perhaps even before that. I, I haven't really, I don't really have the dates, but for several, several decades, many decades, it is, it is decrepit and a small problem can cause massive outages of power across the United States. And of course, the same thing, as I said, in, in, in terms of, of Europe as well. As we said, if the water levels in the Alps indeed drops as we perceive that they may be dropping, France will be in big trouble because they won't have water to cool the nuclear reactors. How do they solve that problem? I don't know. Maybe seawater, whatever. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to be fixed. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody's expecting the, 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 a meltdown of nuclear reactors. That doesn't happen. You can shut them down. But right. it will be a major problem. It will be a major issue. And one of the, one of the largest export items of France for many years now has been electricity to the rest of Europe. So that has a lot of knock-on effects, a lot of ramifications down the line. And that explains one of the reasons why the central banks thinks, believe that the world economy is basically going down the toilet. Okay, so, they, for, so due to lack of confidence of the economy around the world, these places are that's investing in gold. gold. Yeah. That's okay. buying gold. Now, I've told people in the past that I, I think buying gold, even on the personal level, is a very good idea. Um, I, I've said more than gold. I've said uh, metals, uh, at very least gold and silver. That I think that should be in every person's portfolio, is my personal opinion. But there are, of course, other metals that are also significant. Personally, I believe that gold and silver are the most important of them all. Okay, and again, everybody has to make their own decisions, whatever they decide to do with their investments. And, I provide, I attempt to provide information like this, this, this issue of central banks purchasing many tens of billions of dollars worth of gold in the last year is not an insignificant data item. Okay. Okay, everyone is familiar with a book called 1984. There's also a book called 2084, um, written by a, a, a Niger, Algerian writer by the name of Balam Sansal, it's an interesting book. I haven't read it. I've read when was this? Was, was this written after 1984? Oh, yes, of course. It's, okay. it's re quite recent. I don't know the exact date. Okay, it's quite recent. recent. All right. And I'm quoting from the book, uh, Islam is today the second religion in Europe, but undoubtedly the first in terms of number of practitioners. Nobody said. It is already, he's already claiming that it's the first in terms of number of practitioners. I'll go on. Um, uh, I see Islam establishing itself in the West and it has imprinted powerful evolutions which little by little change the internal structure of the West. Laxity and the art of retreat are in place and have formed the minds of people to the point that we no longer even know whether a mortar shell in broad daylight in Paris is incivility, barbarism, or jihadism. Europe is falling apart, is on a slope absorbing blow by blow without being able to respond. But Europe would be too stupid not to understand that the weak have no future in the world to come and that globalization is not peace and prosperity for all as, as is naively believed, but is a battleground between the strong. End quote. And I think that's a phenomenal quote. 
Um, so I just just want to um, spell this out for our listeners or make clear for our listeners. So the the book twenty eighty four basically predicts a total total takeover of Europe by, by Islam, and it's not a novel. <laughs> Correct. Okay, it's his. It's his. It's his prediction. It's his prediction. Okay. Okay, a Belgian newspaper, uh, La Libre, quote. Out of 97 parishes in the Brussels region, there are only 12 priests under the age of 60. 36 out of 110 churches in Brussels are set to close in the face of declining numbers of faithful. Now notice this strongly supports these data out of Belgium, which is a strongly Catholic country, was, pardon me, strongly Catholic country, strongly supports the author of 2084. One in 40 Belgians attends a church, 2.5% of the population, compared to one in two in 1960. Most churches risk closing, and some buildings have already been transformed into hotels, cultural centers, shops, or discotheques. This is the end of Catholics, end quote. Remember, that's a quote from a Belgian newspaper, La Libre. Hmm. Anthony Burgess, the author of Clockwork Orange, in 1991. The church I, I attended as a child in Manchester has since been deconsecrated. It is a mosque. I am not a philosopher. I am not a priest. What does the Pope say? He says nothing. Not a word on the demographic problem. Perhaps the weakness of the West is the death of Christianity, or perhaps the death of liberalism. I don't know. End quote. You know, this has been happening for a long time because I remember doing an interview with someone who was saying that I think every two weeks a church was closing down in Europe. And this was maybe over 10 years ago. And it's accelerated. Hmm. So in other words, when, oh. when, 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 when uh, Boalem Sensal says that Islam is undoubtedly the first in number of practitioners, there is ample evidence to support it. I don't I'm not saying that it's true or not true. I don't have the data across Europe, but there is evidence to support his contention. I don't know if it's if it's already clear or not. He claims that it's clear, but there is significant evidence to support the contention that Catholicism is in its death throes. Okay, so so can you sum up what the author of 2084? is predicting, he's predicting, A, that Islam is going to become the major religion, that Catholicism no, is dying what? Uh-huh. Remember, no country in history has survived atheism. Nobody. You cannot survive, you cannot be a, a, a functioning society, a functioning uh, a civilization, and be an atheist. The Soviet Union tried it, and they failed. China tried it, and they are in process of failing. You ha human, human beings cannot be atheist over time. It doesn't work. It never has. There is no evidence to support the contention that atheism can work over time. And explain the reason to our listeners, because people are willing to die for their beliefs? Guidance. And that's, that, that's the way we're made up. I mean, as a rabbi, I would say, that's the way the Creator made us, but just as a, as a scientist, as an observer, as an objective observer of reality, it just cannot happen. It doesn't work. An atheist society does not function. Never has, never will. And I, so I'm asking, is that because people don't have the values and the beliefs that they would die for? I think that's one reason. I think there are many reasons. That, that, that's one of them. I think there are, many, there are many aspects to it. People, you cannot educate the young and tell them that there's there are no values in the world other than what you feel like being having values for right now because that's fluid that changes. Mm -hmm. We need something permanent. That's the way we're that's the way we're composed. That's the way we're designed. Whatever whatever term you want to use. Again, as a rabbi, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm a strong believer. I'm a very very religious person. So obviously, to to my view, I would say. That's the way God created us. There's a reason for that. But 
I'm trying to be um, scientific and objective here. Scientifically, objectively, humanity cannot survive atheism. Very fascinating. I never th- thought about it, but you're. I believe that's true. I, I believe that if you're, if you don't believe in God, a higher power, then you won't have what to, you know, to be willing to die for, and then you can be easily taken over, dissolved, whatever. So well, it makes I don't. Sense. I, I'm not particularly fond of the of the present to die for, but uh, I mean, you can die for your country, and it has nothing to do necessarily to do with, with God, uh, uh, um, but. Um, much more important, you have nothing to live for. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, uh, when I said that, when I opened by saying global sad, uh, we see that the 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 um, data that we find around the world is evolving in a way which is not optimistic right now. And we can say that the uh, my 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 supposition that the war in Ukraine will end soon is positive. I don't think it is, because what it means is that there are basically no Ukrainians left alive. Well, there'll be Ukrainians left alive. There will, maybe not not men between certain ages. Which means that there's no Ukraine left Ukrainians left alive. Remember. A country, a country is uh, 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 historically countries lose a war when they have lost thirty percent of their of their young males, military age males. Okay. Demographically, that's the definition of losing a war. That's what happened, for instance, in World War II. Germany did not admit defeat until there were no basically there were no German Germans left to fight. Okay. So, I, so by that time, as I, as I started to say before, just before the first break, um, the Russians did a, a classic chess move in Bakhmut. They surrounded on three sides, allowed the Ukrainians to uh, 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 send in reinforcements from the fourth side, the Ukrainians being utterly stupid in, 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 in every uh, uh, military term, continued to uh, um, uh, send in more and more troops, and they're now sending sending in fifteen year olds. Again, there just aren't any troops left. There aren't any males left, and in Ukraine's case, it's not just males because women are fighting as well. Wow. You don't hear this in the Western news agencies. No, of course not. You don't hear it because they're, they're still promoting the, the this utter nonsense that. Uh, that Putin wants to wants to conquer the world, and it's total rubbish. The very the very idea that that Russia, with a population of 147 million, will want to conquer all of Western Europe with a population of 750 million is absurd. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's it's it's, it's a ludicrous idea. It, it can never happen. And nobody, nobody is that stupid unless you're a journalist in the West. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're seeing changes globally in the economy in the uh, Russian-Ukrainian war, which, which is going to affect the United States, which is the biggest pusher of this war, it seems. Which is already affecting the United States because, again— the people in Washington, D.C., and I don't care if they're Republicans or Democrats or purple with pink polka dots. Um, all of these people, what drives them are two issues, how to get reelected and how to line their pockets. I, should, I shouldn't say all. It's not all. And I'm certain there are some that are, that are perfectly honest people and have all the best intentions in the world, and I don't know how to identify them. So, fine, but that's certainly not the majority, and it's certainly not the uh, not the leaders of the parties. So the the you know that when when the Ukraine war ends, they will need to find another war. That they, they have no choice. It's it's a question of addiction. When you're addicted to that kind of that kind of 
uh, of, of cash flow, you need to do something to continue it. So you're saying that that if the Ukraine were to the war the war were to end in the next couple of months, or in, in early summer, as you you indicated that you believe that the United States would look for another war to get involved in. I believe that they have no choice at this point but to foment another war or more than one. But what about if the Republicans get in, if Trump gets in again, or DeSantis? Or First something? of all, um, uh, even if that happens, that's the end of next year, not this year, not this coming summer. And that's not, so it's, it's not really a relevant issue at this point. If, if, if the Ukrainian war begins to wind up during this coming summer, you have a year and a half before the elections. So that's not really a relevant issue. Hmm. Okay. Um, and the people in Washington, as I said, it doesn't matter if they're blue or red or purple. It just doesn't matter. All right. Um, so I, I think that's that's uh, that's where we stand, and I think I think what we're seeing today in the streets of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem is directly related to that. The United States is desperate to find ways to promote chaos right now. So you're saying that the United States, which is kind of, I guess, obvious, um, is fomenting or supporting um, tacitly the marches going on in the streets in Israel against the... The elected government, yes. Okay, the legitimately elected government of the country. And it's not tacit, it's quite open. The, 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 the American ambassador is saying quite openly that he has the right and privilege to tell us what to do and to direct our politics. He said that openly at a, at a conference just this past week. Yeah, I, I actually talked to the ambassador a few weeks ago. And... Uh... <laughs> Nice guy, but very, very not. Uh, well, I, I'm... well, nice guy. That's a that's a that's a uh, description <laughs> of of his profession. His, his profession right, he's nice. a diplomat, exactly. Yeah. No, but very, very. Per, what I can say, very. Uh, uh, he's got a bubbly personality. Let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, but but uh, I I actually met him at Walter Bingham's uh, birthday party, his 99th birthday party, and. Uh, it it was and Walter was giving him a hard time because Walter had interviewed him before the party and he was saying Walter you're giving me such a hard <laughs> such a hard time but that's one of the wonderful things about age is that you're not afraid of people anymore it's like what are they going to do to you <laughs> well I've been saying that now for several years oh yeah like you're so old okay <laughs> all right okay so have we exhausted all these topics because the we've exhausted the topics I intentionally left time so we can. I have a few words about, about the holiday of Purim, which is a beautiful holiday. Yes. Um, and it's also about Mahapecha. Uh, um, I can't say it. Mahapecha. Yes. <laughs> a, a flipping over. A revolution. Yeah. Now, the first thing I'd like to say about Purim is that, you know, everybody's familiar with the story as it's written in the book of Esther. What people are less familiar with is that if you go to a book called the Persian Wars, written about 2,400 years ago by a Greek historian, so-called the first European historian, I think it was Thucydides, is that the name? I forget the name. Um, he also talks about, not from clearly not from the standpoint of the Jews, but he also talks about the same historical process and historical event. Of the Persian so is what the, the story as it's written in the book of Esther, again, while it's taken from the Jewish standpoint, um, is very clearly supported by writings of people at the time. Well, I'm, Esther was the queen, and it was written in their chronicles, in, in the chronicles of Persia. Yes, it was. I mean, that, but again, what I'm saying, it's, it appears in various sources from the Various peoples around the world. It was a known story at the time. Um, there is a thought among some anthropologists, and I don't have enough information to support it or, or dispute it, 
that the stories attributed to the one called Sherazada, Sherazada was Esther. Huh. Is that true or not? I don't know. Interesting. I'm that this supposition exists out there. My mother loved that enough. story, and she was in shock when I when I was younger, and she said, "You never heard that story before." <laughs> so she, because she loved that story. Who? My mother. Oh, I see. that she should rest in peace. Yeah, she loved that story. I, I, why don't you briefly tell it to our listeners so they know what we're talking okay, about? Briefly, the story goes like this: um, uh, 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 the king of of Persia, a king of the the king of Persia at the time died. The one who took his place was prior, prior to that he was a general. He was not of the kingly family. He's called in our chronicles Ahasuerus. I forget now how that's pronounced in. I think it's Xerxes, and it's, it starts it's with an X. I think it's Artaxerxes. I think I'm not sure. It starts with the letter X. Xerxes. Yeah, no, or... I think it's Artaxerxes. Xerxes, but whatever. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce okay. it. It All doesn't right. matter. People can whatever. look it up. Go ahead. Um, he what he did was to gain power. He, um, basically, he married the queen, who we know as Vashti. Now, Vashti, even in the Book of Esther, is not particularly, you know, the Book of Esther isn't too much down on her. She's just, you know, sort of a little bit haughty, which you can understand if she's part of the royal family. Royal families have a tendency towards that. And so he made this party. By the way, the party that we're talking about, this drinking party, this drunk, this orgy, was six months long. And by the way, just speaking of months, the Book of Esther in total covers nine years people aren't so much aware of that look at it and say oh you know how much time did this take? well it, the, the entire book covers nine years of time so um during the during the height of this party he orders the queen to come down and dance for him naked in front of his um in front of his friends his drunken friends she refuses for that he deposed her we do not know if he killed her or he just shut her up in some tower or something. We do not know. But he deposed her. And then he went through a process, and this is where the connection with the thousand one uh, nights comes in. That's nights with an N, not with an K-N. Thousand one nights comes in. Um, he then had a different woman every night come in. And the thing about Sherazada was she told him a story right. and didn't end the story when Dawn came along. Right. So he never killed her because he wanted to hear the end of the story. Correct. And again, we don't know if he killed the ones or he just used them and threw them away. From most sources, it appears that he didn't kill them in the morning. He just they went back to the harem and he never saw them again. So that one night of fun... And that was it for their lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm by no means Shehazada. by no means clear that they had fun as well. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So. So then Esther comes along, and uh, uh, manages to get the guy's attention for much more than that, and he actually marries her and makes her his queen. Now all of these others were not married and were not queens thousand others whatever it was so she actually married him and he and became his queen and i don't want to go too hot too strongly right now into the mystical aspects here but according to the book of esther even though he married her the marriage was not actually consummated in the western tradition well and you no, you have to explain that Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I could be. I, could, I thought I could be able to. Uh, he, he never bettered her. He never consummated the marriage. That's what you're saying. That's what I said. But yeah. he did consummate the marriage. They had Only a son. When later. he went to him after Mordechai uh, uh, forced her to, or convinced her to, he did not consummate the marriage prior to that. And that's from where. Uh, various sources, both in the Talmud and in others, um, 
and in the czar and in several several places. Okay. And only then did was the marriage consummated as a result of those two parties that she put on for the king and Haman. Who was the evil character. Haman originally was his barber. Yes. And somehow he managed to weasel his way up to becoming the prime wazir, the prime prime minister, basically, in, in today's terminology. He became uh, one of the richest and, men. And that's when the... Um, the uh, uh, um, uh, uh, conflict began between him and Mordechai, because Mordechai was a advisor to the king from the very beginning. Um, and so he pro- pro- basically tried to depose Mordechai, because Haman was a nasty piece of garbage, but it was generational. I mean, he, you know, he. He'd been a nasty piece of garbage for the past few generations, so that's okay. Um, and eventually, uh, 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 Ahasuerus, who was not terribly bright, he was basically very strong, probably smelled bad as well, but he wasn't very smart. Um, and we have all sorts of indications of this. I mean, why would you point the guy uh, as your minister and then you give him your you give him your signet ring. That's crazy. Nobody does that. So I mean, there, there are all sorts of things there that Hasbiros does and says that are very, very strange. Anyway, so Hasbiros eventually, at the end of that second party that Esther made for the two of them, looks at this guy and said, "What are you, some kind of a nut?" And then he hung him. You tell the story so differently. (laughs) Well, I'm a storyteller. You know I write stories. (laughs) All right. So what do we, what, what, if you had to put in a nutshell, what we need to learn from the Purim story, what would you tell us? One of the interesting things about the the book of Esther is that the name of God does not appear. And that's very important when you actually look at it. Okay. The book of Esther, if you look at it, on a basic level, is apparently very simplistic. So you sort of ask, well, why was it included in the Bible at all? It's just a, just a relatively trivial historical drama. Well, it isn't. It was included in the Bible because it's not a relatively simple historical drama. Right. It's a very complex description of a, ten, of a nine-year process, which is both political and spiritual in parallel. And the Book of Esther basically describes how God interferes in the world at a very basic level, as the expression goes, to the to the falling of a leaf or the uh, uh, chirp of an individual sparrow. So we need to and, sum up. Okay, well that that, that was a sum up. <laughs> well, but but you're saying that's a very important story, but what? Do you want our listeners to go away with what well, do we I'm learn from it, the story? The book describes how God uh, 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 interferes in the actions of, of, of humans and the world at a very basic level, even if we don't necessarily perceive it trivially ourselves. The story, though, which appears trivial, is very, very far from being a trivial story. Agreed. But I, I just wanted you to kind of like hammer in exactly what people need to take away from the story, the lesson. So then let, let, let me put forward something that has always impressed me when I read each year the story of Esther in the, in the book of Esther. And I, I always, it always gets me the last paragraph <laughs> where they say that after, you know, they win this Hitler of a Haman Haman is uh, killed and uh, the story ends in victory that the Jews who were supposed, this is what we talked about, the Mahapacha, the, the, the flipping over that the Jews were all going to be killed. That's what uh, Haman, Haman said, and, and the king agreed that they would all be killed from old till, till babies, the genocide. And in the end, it turned around, and the Jew haters 
were killed and the Jewish people were saved. And Mordechai's uh, and Esther's bravery and convictions and their allegiance to God is what did it. And the people's tshuva, which is the people, the Jewish people repenting. Because when you know you're going to be killed, right, and it's under the king's order, then you uh, are going to repent. You're going you're, you're going to be said, God save us, okay? So what happens? We repent. God accepts our repentance. Mordechai becomes the, the new prime minister of Persia. And it's a huge victory for the Jewish people. It's, a, it's an amazing, miraculous story that it was then put into the, as, I, as we mentioned, it was written in the Chronicles of Persia and that was added to the Tanakh, to the Bible. And what do we read in the last paragraph? That Mordechai, who was now prime minister and saved the Jewish people, was popular with the majority of the people. And when I read that, you know, like, you know, years ago, I was thinking, how can this be? What do you mean he's popular with most of the people? He just saved the Jewish people. Everybody should be looking at him as a very popular person. Why is it with most of the people? And the reason is because even then, there were naysayers. There were people who were talking against Mordechai. I'm talking about the Jewish people. That, that they were saying, oh, you know, he's now working with the king and he's the prime minister and he's probably um, neglecting his Torah study and other things he should be doing. Or maybe he thinks he's a big shot now. You know, what we, what we say is Lashon Hara, it's bad-mouthing a person. And I was thinking, we just did tshuva. We just repented. And it was accepted. So it was a good repentance. And already after that, we already have some people who are dissatisfied with Mordechai and, and putting him, you know, he wasn't so popular with them. And, and for me, this meant, because a lot of people believe that once we all do repentance Everything's going to be perfect afterwards because we've, we've repented and it's all going to be good and perfect, but it's not. But what, what is repentance? God wants each and every one of us on an individual level to reconnect with him. We will never be perfect because we are human beings. All we can do is be in the process of perfecting ourselves, but we'll never be perfect. And here's proof that here we just did tshuva, we just repent, uh, repented, and already there are some people who are unhappy with Mordecai and are judging him, etc., etc. So what do we learn from this? My conclusion is that the repentance is still good even though the world's not going to be perfect afterwards, even though you're going to have some people who are not going to be giving the benefit of the doubt, you're going to have some people have their fault, you know, people will still have faults here and there, but we should still always try to make that connection with God and repent and try to mend our ways and become closer to him and, and, and serve him as best we can. That is my conclusion of the Portman story and why I love it so much, by the way. <laughs> and here I thought you liked it because, because of me. <laughs> well, you, you said some interesting things. That I, I have never heard it told that way. So in any case, we are over time. And I want to say I want to wish all of our listeners a, a very happy Purim. And remember what the, what the lessons are. Read the story. Read the, commenta uh, the, the commentators, what they say about it as well. And really absorb the story. It is not just a fairy tale. It is not a fairy tale at all. It's historical. It happened. And we have lessons to learn from it. And I want to wish all of you a very happy, wonderful Purim holiday, a wonderful Shushan Purim, and a easy fast on Monday here in Israel, and well, actually across the world, uh, because we fast beforehand. And that's part of our repentance, by the way. Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem, you want to say one last thing? Um, I, I think Purim, at this point in time, is, is really a very important story. It's not just a and it's, it's phenomenally fun. I mean, it's just really a fun day. Fun. I had to, some friends come along with their children, and the children are all dressed up in costumes and things like that. And it's just marvelous. But beyond that, it really is fascinating. 
It and anybody is. who has access to a good library, uh, a general by the name of Yoram Chazoni wrote a book many years ago called The Dawn, which examines it from a historical perspective. And it's a fascinating book. So if you have access to it and you, and you have the time to spend reading a, I don't know, it's not a tremendous book, I think it's 200 pages, 300 pages, something like that. Fascinating book, fascinating story, fascinating holiday, and something really, really to be internalized. Okay, thank you everybody for being with us. You've been listening to the Tamar Yona Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Our guest was Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. We went on, we went over global sad. We wa- talked about energy and alternatives. We talked about 2084, and of course the Purim holiday, and what we need to be taken away from it. In uh, in addition to other things that I did not mention. Thanks for being with us, everybody, and happy Purim. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 